Hey, dear ones, did you know that you have a built-in compass guiding you to your soul mission with all the tools you need to fulfill that soul mission? Sound exciting? Then join me for a Soul Blueprint, the only certification program that reveals how to amplify your five spiritual gifts so you can consciously create a life and business of massive soul line success. Enroll now at allisonscammell.com forward slash soul blueprint. And you can find that link in the show notes. Good day to you, my dear friends. This is Allison Scammell. And today's episode is on a topic that affects everyone. And it affects soul-guided entrepreneurs in a specific way. And I think it's often misunderstood. And that is the upper limit effect. I truly am so excited to share with you today my interview with Jennifer Love about the role the upper limit effect plays in your life and business and with your money relationship. In today's episode, Jennifer tells us how the upper limit effect shows up with our relationship to money, how to end the sabotage and get right with our relationship with money, and how you can learn, discover, have fun with, and treat money as simply information. At a certain point in the interview, Jennifer starts coaching me on my own upper limits and self-sabotage, and she kind of blew me away. I think the way she coached me beautifully demonstrates a process that you can go through for yourself so you can end your own self-sabotage for good. We end on a challenge that will have you poised and ready to establish a relationship with money that serves you for the rest of your life, so be sure to stay with us until the end. Welcome to She Grows a podcast for soul-guided women entrepreneurs ready to be seen and get fully booked using their unique genius, intuitive voice, and spirit guides. Each week, we'll explore how to create offerings based on what you do best so you can have a wait list of ideal clients and bring in continuous income. I'm your host, Allison Scamble. Let's get growing. She Grows Nation. That is the name of this sisterhood of soul-guided entrepreneurs. If you're not already a citizen of She Grows Nation, then I invite you to join our Facebook community of nearly 1,000 women running heart-based businesses that are in service to each other and the planet. Find a link to join in the show notes. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking to Jennifer Love about the upper limit effect and the role sabotage plays in our money relationship. Jennifer Love is a thought leader with a heart that matches her name. Her degrees, training, and research in human and organizational behavior psychology are the foundation of her clinical work. She's currently the visionary CEO of the Living Wealthy Institute, helping world leaders develop a healthy relationship with wealth, free from overwhelm and anxiety, by following a regenerative money equation for a holistic and nourishing experience. It was a real honor for me to spend some time with Jennifer and really receive from her wisdom. So please enjoy. Welcome, Jennifer Love. What a great name. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show, and I absolutely love the topic we'll be unpacking. So thank you so much for being here. 
Oh, you betcha. I love to explore the upper limit effect. I think it really impacts all of us in profound ways. And I think it's something that we don't really understand. So could you start by sharing with us what is the upper limit effect and how does it show up in our relationship with money? Yeah, yeah. This is a really potent topic. Where I want to start us is what it feels like, what it feels like in our body. And so tapping into the sensation of what the upper limit can create physically, we might feel like tightness in our shoulders or a lot of tightness in our jaws or tightness in our chest and like shallow breathing, even maybe feeling like it's hard to breathe. Kind of this sensation of like something's closing in on us. Like we're living in a box, like there's even maybe not as much oxygen as we'd like to breathe. And what the upper limit sounds like is everything will be messed up. Get this decision right. Control them. I'm not doing enough. I'm terrible at being consistent and following through. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. Push through. It's not fair. I'm better than they are. I don't know how. I can't. Everything's going to fall apart. Get it together. That's what the voice of the upper limit often sounds like. And what it looks like and how it begins to express itself is in so many different nuanced ways. Yo-yoing in sales. Debt cycles we just can't seem to get out of. Complete burnout. It's kind of like we're on this hamster wheel and we're running hard but we're just kind of staying in the same place. And so it creates this sense of plateauing. We get to a certain level of success in our our life, our business, a certain level of satisfaction or joy, but we feel stuck in that gear. Like the current wealth or revenue or joy or satisfaction level just can't seem to get beyond this place that I'm in right now. We can't seem to get to this place of our dreams of financial freedom, financial independence. And it's much bigger than like the, how do I get and convert leads, right? It's, it, it, sure, it can be some of that, but it's a real deep inner resistance to getting out there, being visible, because deep down inside, you're struggling and feeling like you don't even deserve, like you maybe don't even believe somewhere deep down inside of you that it's possible for you. And your comfort zone is living in criticism. And your internal negator is running the show. And she's quite cruel. And each one of us, Allison, each one of us carries ingrained unconscious ideas of how happy we can be, how successful we can be by learning how to identify and transcend upper limits, we can begin to expand our potential for happiness and abundance and wealth. This topic, like I said, it really is so important. I want to share with you, Jennifer, how it shows up in my life. And I just want to ask you, would you call this the upper limit effect? And then how does one transform out of this. So I like busted my butt to grow my business and kind of had that thought like, oh, if if I get my business to a certain level, then I'll be really happy. I'll be happy that I have this successful business. Well, I did that. 
And then I was completely and utterly burned out. Just like I just like not a single ounce of energy left in the tank. Well, then I sort of figured out how to build my business and not completely burn out. But then I, every time I would up level my financial intake, my like yearly income, I'd seem to put on 10 pounds <laughs> out of nowhere. And then I tried to figure out how to build a successful business without building, burning out and without putting on weight. Like, is this part of the upper limit effect? Would you say? It's so interesting that you're bringing up the weight piece. And, and so the short answer is yes. But what I'm finding in my research with clients over the last 20 plus years um, is, and, and I'm working primarily with women entrepreneurs, though the first half of my career was spent with the, the men. And um, now I'm serving the women leaders. And every single one of them is affected in their relationship with food in some way. And, and so it's weight gain. Some of them it's weight loss, like, but that translates into eating disorders often. Like you got syndrome, constipation, like they, they can't have a bowel movement, but maybe once a week if they're lucky. And I find specifically for the weight that oftentimes, especially when we're putting ourselves out there, when we're pushing so hard, we're turning to food as a friend, as an ally, as a comfort, when really it's meant to just simply be fuel. But also even deeper under that, I find in that we're using it as a place to try to feel safe and to hide a bit. Now, I know a little bit something about this, Allison, because I was bulimic for 10 years, all through my 20s. Um, so I speak for myself, but I also speak for the clients that, yes, this is absolutely how upper limits begin to show up and express because they express not only in our thoughts, in our mental aspect of ourself or emotionally, which Shame is such a big one. We can talk about that in a moment and lack of self-confidence, but it also shows up in how we are connecting not only within ourselves, but outside ourselves with our purpose, for example, this level of intimacy that we so deeply yearn for, but can't seem to get. And then all of that is combining and it's beginning to express itself because we're kind of ignoring ourselves and our needs. It begins expressing itself physically like weight gain. Yeah. That was a long answer to the yes. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was a great answer. So why do we do this to ourselves? You kind of already answered this question, but yeah, why well, is it we tend to self-sabotage? Yeah, we tend to self-sabotage. One, because we're so undernourished. And when I mean undernourished, it's not just like in the nutrition department, although that is often very true, but we're so undernourished with the needs that we have underlying it all. And we're so out of touch with what those needs even are, right? And that then just wreaks havoc. It's kind of like a tsunami coming through on the land and it just tears the land apart and it destroys our confidence. And it's also destroying our trust. And, and trust is a big key here, trust of self. Because if we can't trust ourselves, Allison, we can't trust other. And then we're walking around in a state of fear constantly and we're making decisions in our businesses, in our life, in our finances from that place of fear. Well, that just wreaks havoc <laughs> and that destroys so much. It actually robs us from our potential and from money in the bank account. And on top of it, we're feeling, we're feeling like the sense of worthlessness. Like I somehow don't deserve success, maybe even self-hatred. I had a client who was cutting 
herself, literally cutting. She running her business and she's there cutting herself because she's in such a state of feeling hatred. I have another client who, this is an extreme version of an upper limit. She took over her family business and her family business, when she took over, it was running, it was running about 10 million in revenue. So pretty good. But she took it in six years to $573 million. Like unheard of. Like this is really remarkable, the results that she got. But she did it at the sacrifice of herself. So she ended up having to take a full year off a sabbatical because she was so, so completely bankrupt within herself. And on top of it, as we were unpacking it for her, what she realized was she didn't even feel like she deserved it, even though she had created the wealth for her family. She didn't feel like she somehow deserved it. There was still this sense of indebtedness that she had. Like she couldn't actually claim it for herself because there was deep shame in what she was feeling in herself that was keeping her from being able to access her own value. Wow, that's incredible that she could build that kind of wealth, but still be closing that part of it off. And that's the evidence that it's not about the money ever. It's not about the money. It's not about how much money we have or how much money we don't have. It's about what's going on inside of us. Money is neutral, right? Money is simply a tool. Sure, it can enable other things in our life to become more easeful. Absolutely. But money is just the energy that we give it. And I love that story as the evidence of it's not about the money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's something I tell my clients a lot who say, well, I don't want to raise my prices because my clients can't afford it. I, I don't want to price my clients out. And I said, well, it's one thing I've learned in being in business for five years is it doesn't matter how rich or poor a person is (laughs) when it comes to whether or not they want to hire you. It really doesn't. And so when you say, well, I can't raise my prices because of my clients, you're getting into their stories, which is none of, it's not our business, right? And it, it, it let in what you're just saying, it's not about the money. Money is neutral. It all supports this. That's right. Yeah. In fact, for those that the clients that can't afford it, well, there will be some clients that can't afford it. Then they're not your clients. They're someone else's clients. Exactly. Amen. And so so getting clear about who your clients are and being willing to support your marketing that screens everyone else out, right? That's the distinction. Create the clarity of who your client is and that client understands the value of the work that you do because you understand their pain points so clearly and you are in love with your client and you know that you can help them and then you make it so clear that you screen everyone else out. Everyone else is a no. And so it, it becomes an easy dialogue. It's not about a conversation about money. It's a conversation about you supporting them in what they need to get out of the pain that they're in. That is so beautiful. Yes. And you talk about how we need to treat money as information. And I really love that. Can you say a little bit more about that? How we can learn and have fun with money when we treat it as information? Well, let me give you another story here. And so I think the way that I often will encourage people to relate with money is through their values. And so that requires us understanding what our values are, our values in our business, but our values for us personally as well. And they can sometimes be a bit different. So many years ago, I had started a company and I was focusing on women in financial literacy. And 
I decided I was a year into the business and I wanted to go get a sponsor, a year-long sponsor for our programming. And I was looking at over $100,000 sponsorship. So I found myself sitting in Silicon Valley with a potential sponsor, asking all the questions, really listening to what they needed, and went back, wrote up a great pitch for them. And they came back and they're like, yes. I was like, great. Except they said, but we want to just start out with a 90-day trial. And I was like, but um bum bum. <laughs> and, and and the reason that was an issue is because how I was going to have my team build in the nuance of all of the weaving of their sponsorship into our programming for the year was going to require a major investment on our part of energy, time, resources, and strategy. On top of it, we were going to be making this offer to our members. And I thought if we let them come in for 90 days and then we they decide for whatever reason they want to pull out after 90 days, I'm not only disrupting our team, but I'm potentially putting our reputation and the frustration of our clients at risk because I'm dangling a carrot in front of them for 90 days and then potentially that could be gone. And one of my values in the business was have her back. And that didn't feel like having their back. So $100,000, that's not a small amount especially a first year in business. And I thought, hmm, I'm going to I'm going to use my value as a decision-making filter here as information, right? To decide whether or not I'm going to be willing to walk away from this. And I was like, this isn't worth it to me. I'm not willing to not have my client and my team's back. So I went back to the sponsor and I said, "You know what? Here's why I think we're great for all the reasons." And I laid it out. I said, "But here's why I can't do this like this." Because I'm not willing to put this on the line. And then they're like, we really get it. No problem. Can we just break it up into 90, like quarterly payments? And I said, sure. And we closed the deal. Right. But I was willing to walk away from the sponsorship because I was using the information of my values as a decision making filter. Those are the kinds of things I'm talking about using information with money. That's so cool. I love the value of have her back. This might be a silly question, but what if you are an entrepreneur and you're saying, well, I don't know what my values are because I've never really thought about it. How would you guide someone to discovering what their core values are? Yeah, there's so many different ways out there. I think some of them are such bogus (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) because a value is not something we aspire to. A value is something that is actually innate within us. And so we can begin to look at things we're spending money on. Where are we spending our time? What are the things like the topics that we love and that we're drawn to that we want to talk about with people? What are the books that we're reading? What are they about, right? All of that kind of stuff gives us the information. I have a whole process that I walk people through on how to identify their values, but it's through collecting that kind of information that gives us the clues into what the value actually is. That's so good. I love the idea that it's innate within us. And when I first started my business, I did a lot of work myself on values and with clients and with myself. And it's funny how I, my, so my business migrated to a different focus, but as I heard you talk, I had the thought, boy, when's the last time I thought about the values of my business or my own personal values? And it's just like, what a great reminder. How important is that? So it's, 
just a fundamental thing that you can easily lose track of. That's right. It's, you know, that's why using our values as a decision-making filter, it eliminates so much of the stress. It, it makes decision-making so much easier because we know we get to a clear yes or no around financial decisions with a lot more ease by just understanding what our values are. Beautiful. Love that. All right. So getting back to this sabotage, this sabotage, I want to stop gaining 10 more pounds. How do we end the sabotage? And then, and in ending that sabotage, get right with our relationship to money. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to, um, I was talking about the kind of the spiritual or the energetic connection that we have with ourself and then outside of ourself, right? That's the spiritual aspect I call it. And And the emotional is how we're being, how we're even being in the doing, right? How we're being within ourselves. Like what is our emotional state? Are we, are we actually being with the emotions? Are we making them our friends? Um, Or are we repressing them and pushing them away and avoiding the things that feel scary that we don't want to look at? And what are the thoughts, the inner critic, the voices, the beliefs that we're holding on to? How are we being what are we doing with that? Are we letting her control the the show and how that expresses? How are we treating ourselves physically? So in all these different aspects, the physical aspect, the mental aspect, the emotional aspect, the, the, the spiritual aspect, we begin over time to build up scar tissue, I call it, in these different aspects of our humanity. And so this scar tissue is like toxic buildup of barriers and blocks and wounds and destructive beliefs and harmful stories and addictions. And all of the scar tissue begins to create defense. It creates um, and destroys our natural life force. It brings out the warrior in us rather than allowing the soft one to be, right? So how do we begin to end this sabotage is by breaking down and eliminating the scar tissue in those different aspects of ourself, right? I I think we all, in some ways, need a full metamorphosis so that we can reconnect to our natural state of being. We need to identify what the scar tissue is and how it got there, how it's creating our upper limits and keeping you a prisoner inside yourself and reconnecting to living wealthy, what that means to you so that you can live in that natural state of being and then clear that scar tissue out, right? I, I say that I'm like a human gold digger. I like... Hold, I hold clients' hands and I'm like taking them on the path. I'm like, okay, let's go find your gold, right? And, and, and it's hiding often behind a lot of shit, a lot of scar tissue. And it's constipating our life and it's robbing us of our freedom and our joy and our security and, and our bank account. And then we get into the practice field because once we identify it and once we reconnect with ourselves, and once we then begin to clear it, well, we've got to begin to practice right? The practice field of ending emotional poverty, for example, easing the anxiety and stepping into a life of empowered financial decision-making and wholeness of self. And then from that place, after we've been in that state of integration and practice, and this is the, the honeymoon's over here, right? Sometimes looking at the monsters underneath the bed can be kind of sexy, kind of fun even when we get into the habit of it. But man, when we get into the integration and practice field, it kind of feels like, man, <laughs> and the funny part about this, Allison, is that I will have clients often say, why am I not there yet? 
and I did this and I'm here that, but why am I not there yet? And like, what would you say, you know, that when you decide that you want to go climb Mount Everest and you decide to get all the equipment that you're, you're then now ready to go to summit? No, right. You have to train for it. You have to practice. You have to prepare yourself to actually get to summit. And so it's the same rings true as our physical life and training for anything, a marathon, soccer, becoming a great uh, team to win championship, you practice. But we, we don't seem to hold that same kind of expectation of mastery for ourselves when it comes to our emotional and mental and spiritual aspects of self. And yet it's true. We have to practice. We have to be like, with a, like we would train a puppy with our brain, right? Training a puppy requires consistency. It requires us to constantly show that puppy where to go to the potty outside rather than inside, right? We have to do that over and over again until the puppy finally comes back to us and says, hey, I need to go outside and go potty. <clears throat> Our brain is the same thing. It has to be trained and that takes practice. And so it's the removing of that scar tissue and the integration of learning how to do that. Then we can then begin to embody and be fully rewired in the flow of living wealthy. Does that make sense mm, to you? It does. It does. I love it. And I love calling, I love the idea of calling it scar tissue. It just says so much. So if someone feels like they're not sure how they can do it for themselves, how would you guide them to start identifying their scar tissue that most is asking for its attention? If we've got a lot of it, okay, you can't clear up all your scar tissue overnight, unfortunately. And I totally hear it often from my clients. Why, why am I not there yet? Why is this taking so long? <laughs> why have I been dealing with this emotional baggage that I've carried from my childhood? Why can't I just get past it? And I always, it's, it is that whole, like, this is not a sprint, people. <laughs> it is exactly as you say. It's a daily practice. It's a daily commitment to looking at the scar tissue. So if someone feels it, it wants to know, like, how do I start? Or maybe they've been on the journey for a while, but what, how do I identify what scar tissue is asking me to look at it today? Yeah. A couple of great, I love self-inquiry. Very I'm very Socratic <laughs> in nature, right? Because I want people to, to find it for themselves, to learn how to fish. If I give them the fish, then they'll just want to keep coming back for more fish. But if I teach them how to fish, then they know and they can do it for themselves. Right. And so becoming Socratic in nature begins this um, self-discovery. And I love the self-inquiry and contemplation for that. And so a couple of great ways to begin this process and journey is to look at where, what are the things that you're avoiding? What are the things that you're like, I really just don't want to look at that. That, my dear love, has so much information in it. So if you can find the courage and bravery within yourself to begin to actually look at the things that you're avoiding and then ask, why am I avoiding that? then you will get a lot of information on yourself. Also, what are you hiding? What do you not want other people to know about you and why? What is it that you're hiding? What is it that you're avoiding? Those are two great places to start. And then you can also ask other people, what do you see in me that I don't? Because we all have blind spots and we all learn a lot from relating with others when we're willing to ask to be seen. Those are fantastic questions. I love the what am I avoiding? 
When you ask yourself that question, it's just like the answers pop fast. You don't have to, you don't have to struggle, right? They do. They really do. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wait, I've been pushing that away. I've been sweeping it. It's like hiding behind the cobwebs in the dark closet. Do I really want to go in there? It kind of feels scary. And yet it's the idea of it that's more scary than actually going into it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So can we take it one next step further? So what am I avoiding? Oh, I'll give you an example from my life. I've been keeping on the theme of gaining 10 pounds because I'm normally a pretty fit person who prioritizes nutrition and, and exercise, but I have been avoiding getting my butt out and exercising. And I'm a person who grew up as a kind of a gym rat. And I just, I've been avoiding exercising. What do I, I see it now. I see. So you're saying, ask, why am I avoiding exercising? I am lazy. What do you, what comes next? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so why am I avoiding? Let's, do you want to go there right now? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so take a nice deep breath for just a moment. Okay. And rather than being in your head space, I'm going to invite you into your heart space into that emotional place within yourself, into your heart, maybe even into your belly. And just when you think about this avoiding exercise, what are the sensations that you're feeling in your body? Tense, tightness, like my, I feel like my brow is furrowed. Mm-hmm. Do you notice anything else? Yeah, just a tightness, a clenching. And where do you feel that tightness and clenching? Right in my third eye, like third frustrated, eye, like I'm squ- I'm yeah. I'm frowning at myself. Yeah. So frustration. So you're the emotion that you're feeling is frustration. See if you can access what other emotions might be there. Uh, yeah, pissed off at myself, frustrated, a little bit self-critical. Mm-hmm. The here's that voice you were talking about. Come on, lazy ass. Why, why is this so hard? So that's it. Shouldn't be so hard. It's triggering shame. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's with the voice? You, you started going there automatically. What's the voice? Give that inner critic of be feeling ashamed of the frustration. What does it sound like in you? Lazy ass was one, but what else is there? Oh, you're just going to keep on putting on weight if you don't move your body and you're just going to, you're going to get bad bones and... <laughs> Uh, hunch over because you're just hunched over a computer all day and you you know that you need to move and you know how healthy it is for you, but you're not doing it. Why are you so stuck? Like, why can't you just get your ass outside? What is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And so underneath that, so, so this is, ah, you're doing great. Take another deep breath, just another quick deep breath. So underneath that are needs. You have some needs underneath that. I wonder if you could take a guess at what some of your needs are. I'll help you with it too. But see if you can just identify maybe underneath all that, what are some of your needs? I need to move. I need to be out in nature. I need to feel connected to my movement and my nature together. I need to hear the crashing waves of the ocean because I like to walk on the ocean on the beach. I need to see the birds overhead. I need to mm, connect in with the trees. I need to sweat from time to time. My body needs to sweat. Mm, I need to 
just be in the and kind of a meditative movement. I need to have a, kind of you know walking meditations from time to time. Mm. Mm. What I'm really hearing in that is a need for connection with yourself, connection with nature, and exercise. Like really, you have a need for like feeling that movement and exercise. I'm also hearing a need for vitality and energy and aliveness in that along with kindness and compassion and comfort. And possibly even, I, I wonder if there's a need for emotional safety somewhere in there. Mm, you're good, Jennifer. <laughs> 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 kind of got a yes to all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was also hearing a need for ease in there and maybe some spaciousness, some space. And I was also hearing like the discussion and like kind of the reference to the birds and connecting with the birds. I was hearing like maybe there's some like desire and need for wonder, maybe some play, some fun. Yes. And so what we would do with that is like, okay, rather we can hear what's happening in the body. We can hear what's happening in the emotions. We can hear the inner critic voice. And then we begin to see, okay, well, here are our needs. So... Let's just sit for just a moment with, okay, how might we actually get those underlying needs met? Because it's not just about the, the sweating, right? There's so much more that's calling to be met. And I wonder how you're relating with the exercise. Is it another thing to do? Is it this thing I'm supposed to do because I don't want to have the weight and I'm kind of being mean with myself about it? And is there another way that we could relate to it, which might sound more like, I want to go play and I want some more ease. I want to have some connection and I want to get outside and move with myself and my body. And how we're being in that doing really makes the difference of us actually desiring to get out and do it. Oh, that's so good. Yes, to all of that. And so where we can move from that, when we understand what our needs are, we can begin to make a request. So what a request might sound like or might feel like for ourselves, or even of other. Um, so that this is like a nice practice for beginning to, um, and coming back to where you were like, well, okay, I want to lose this weight, but like, why, but I'm avoiding this, but I don't really understand why I'm avoiding it. Well, there's some underlying unmet needs in there that we then we need to begin to look at. And we can begin to access that through first by understanding what's happening in our body and moving from there. That is so brilliant. I love how you, you talked, I'm not going to quote you correctly, but what you said about showing up in the doing, being differently. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't how say that. Being, that was so good. How we're being in the doing, right? How are we being in the doing? And so how the, we're being in the doing. Yeah. And that's the emotional aspect of ourself. How we're being, right? How we're approaching something. Is it from this energy of frustration? Or is it that, okay, yeah, I'm frustrated. What are my needs that are not being met underneath that frustration? So I can actually shift how I'm being in how I'm approaching going to exercise and, and fulfilling my needs by under, actually understanding what they are. And then maybe I can shift the frustration to, gosh, I want to go connect. 
I want to go connect with the birds and with nature and the, the ocean and Ah, I want to have some spaciousness. No wonder I'm feeling frustrated because I'm not really, I'm kind of beating myself up about this rather than actually just feeling the expansiveness of like, ah, connecting and having ease and play around this for myself. No wonder this is happening in me. Okay. I can shift my way of being in this. And then it it becomes a totally different experience for us then. Absolutely. And Jennifer, I'm presuming here that we can go through the exact same process with anything in our life and including our relationship to money and how we call in wealth or business wealth. That's exactly right. We can use this for anything at any point we can stop. I find that this tool, I do this practice. This is inspired by Marshall Rosenberg and his body of work. Um, I do this practice every day. It's called self-empathy. I'll actually write it down I'll do a little video and save it. And I have a journal. I do a video journal of myself going through this practice. And you can access this at any point. I find that it shifts. Something that might be frustrating for weeks, months, years can be solved in 30 minutes or less by actually taking ourselves through this process of beginning to unpack and understand what our needs are so that we can shift and figure out how to get that need met. Oftentimes we can meet our own needs, but so often because we don't know what our needs are, we're seeking outside of ourselves, right? We're placing our value outside of ourself. We're placing our worthiness outside of ourself. And yet it's all right here inside of us. So, so much of what we need to do is pick up the keys, reclaim our keys to our own power and recognize that everything, the validation that we need, it's all right here within us. It's not somewhere outside of us. It's right here inside. That is so powerful. I love it. And the person you received um, inspiration from was, could you say that name again? Marshall Rosenberg. We'll just put him in the show notes. That is so amazing. So Jennifer, one of the things I always ask my guests to do, I like to put them on the spot a little bit. And I ask my guests to leave our listeners with a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. I love challenges. Let's see here. Hmm. I dare you. I dare you to feel good. I dare you to feel whole. I dare you to feel free with wealth. And I invite you. I invite you to be with money in its true nature, sacred, natural, regenerative. And may you, may you find the joy and the peace in your life. May you be safe. May you be at peace. Oh, Jennifer, that's ranking up there as one of the best challenges we've had on the show. That's pretty darn good. I have to ask, do you do, can people buy guided meditations from you? You have this, like the greatest voice. (laughs) I want to record you. (laughs) Actually, over on my website, I've got people can come over and listen to, I call them oratories, living wealthy oratories. And they're like five to 15 minute little audio oratory messages for inspiration and hope in our relationship with money and wealth and and value in ourself. And I I kind of refer to it as like a little chocolate for your heart and your ears. Oh, perfect. What a great offering. So that's brilliant. We'll put that link in the show notes and tell us how else people can find you, connect to you and all the goodness that is there in your world. Yeah. So jenniferlove.com is a great place to start. And also on Instagram, 
I'm the Jennifer Love on Instagram. That is amazing. Now, is Love your, were you born with that surname? It is a chosen name. That is a great name. Jennifer Love is a great name. Well, and I you also, chose well. <laughs> I did. And it's, I'm, a, I'm the co-founder of a chocolate company. So uh, a wholesale chocolate company. And so you can imagine going around with a name like Love with having a chocolate company was quite fun. <laughs> that is fantastic. We, I used to live in Belgium, which I think is the best chocolate in the world. So I'm... Oh, it's so smooth. Belgium chocolate has just got that smoothness to it. Mm-hmm. It really does. It really does. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was really fantastic. I didn't mean to sneak in some free coaching from you, Jennifer. It just kind of felt right to... Uh, demonstrate to people how it would work. And I want to thank you so much for what you gave to me personally and what you're giving, what you gave to all the listeners. Really fantastic sharing we just had. You're very welcome. I want to thank you so much for listening. And if you're loving this episode, go ahead and hit subscribe wherever it is you listen. And I'd be super grateful for a rating and review so more people can find us. And if you'd like help calling in your ideal clients, then download my free checklist to identify and remove the five visibility blocks that are preventing them from finding you. Your offerings are too important to remain invisible, so this checklist will help you be seen and get fully booked. You can find the link to download on my website, alisonscammell.com, as well as in the show notes.